This is Shaka Wartspeak. Hey, welcome to Shaka Wartspeak. We are back again with another episode, and uh, it's it's going to be a good one because it's been months, months since we've had somebody else with us to talk to besides just you and me, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, there's no sock. Well, we had, I mean, we had Ken here. I mean, yeah. Well, see, I don't, I don't really count. I don't count Ken so much because I don't know if uh, you and I have talked about this yet, but I've been seeing so much of him uh, because of the issues with his car and some right. things like that that I have not. Uh, it's it's hard to think of him as a separate entity some days. I'm not yeah. saying I like that. Yeah, I'm just no. Saying. Yeah, Ken Ken becomes kind of the fabric of the couch That's in a, a way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great. We way love to you, talk Ken. About. If you're listening, he's out fishing today, so yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good weekend for it. I'm actually um, going to go join him after this uh, record session. So fantastic. Yeah. Well, we do have a great uh, person here in the studio with us, which is amazing. Um, so alongside me and Ryan today, we've got Nicholas Seitz. He's a uh, fantastic friend. He's been uh, a long time uh, part of the team here at Shaka Art Space, and he has also done some other really, really amazing things. So, uh, thanks for being here, Nick. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Welcome, Nick. So, yeah, we um, we got a good conversation. Uh, we've had some good stuff popping off. We've talked the last few weeks uh, and let y'all know about some exciting things with the film that Shaka Art Space put out, The Builder. Um, yes. We were in a film festival uh, this past week where we've got another one coming up, the Friends of Oshkosh Film Festival uh, on the 18th. There'll be information in the show description for you to grab tickets to see a screening of the documentary if you haven't yet. But we're going to get into uh, some of the specifics around what we did. Yeah, and we got some cool cool stuff that happened uh, with the last film festival that uh, yes. with, uh, the Arts is Alive Film Festival. So we'll share that. But first, we want to know everything, and I mean everything, about Nick Seitz. Who is this Nick Seitz? Yes. So you can go back as far as you like. No, we we yeah. really do like to get the... Yeah, uh, yeah. No, so, so <laughs> that was awkward, but um, it wouldn't Welcome. be an episode if we didn't make it awkward at some point. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So Nick, um, you're coming out of a f- uh, photo film background. Give, give us a little bit of the, uh, the origin story with that. Like, how, how'd you get yeah. into it? How'd you get into it? Uh, sure. So I started filmmaking about the same time that I was getting into photography. Um, as you say, uh, my background was in photography and that was kind of the first thing that I um, took a personal interest in art making wise and, um, you know, done drawing and other little school things coming up. But um, photography was the first kind of artistic media that I really uh, wanted to grab hold of and make my own and, and explore on my own terms. Um, but filmmaking was was not far behind it. I had couple of really close friends in high school that were doing photography and filmmaking and um, have one friend now who's a director in New York that was, I mean, he was making films since he was probably nine or 10. And uh, yeah, he, um, he was always, always had some project, him and uh, his close friend were always making short films and, you know, writing scripts and recording stuff and editing. So, um, you know, joining those friends and kind of already being excited about cameras. Um, it was kind of a natural, just wanted to jump in on their projects and, you know, help edit. And, you know, it was very natural to, to kind of learn all the tools, um, both shooting and editing in there. Um, and then, you know, owning that photography and, you know, wanting to come to art school. Um, I applied to VCU arts in my senior year of high school and, uh, went there the year after. So I, Went through Art Foundations, uh, went into the photo film program, and, um, you know, with the photo concentration, you know, still primarily focusing on still photography for my art practice. Um, But, you know, all through the mix of that was um, doing professional work for 
for film related projects, you know, I was um, actually that same friend that I knew from high school. He was um, working on a wedding business. So um, I was shooting with them, editing, um, just kind of learning the ropes of creating film in a professional environment while at the same time kind of developing my critical eye, um, making still images in school. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess I'm interested in, in, um, there's like, uh, I think coming up as an artist, there's connections to tools. Um, and it may be like intuitive, you know, there's no cognitive kind of, you know, you're not thinking about it in a conscious way, but, but you're really, you grab, you know, like, so for me, it's something in there about painting had to do with just the, the material and the tools as some kind of like primary early connections, like a connection to the tool. And I think cameras are extremely interesting objects that either are complex enough to drive you away from picking one up, like, uh, or, or the opposite. They, they kind of pull you into what they can do, you know? And so, so I, I'm just wondering about your connection to the, like just to holding a camera, just the, the, the tactile aspect of, of, um, you know, of a, of a camera. And like, if you have any thoughts on that, just that tool aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I say I got into photography kind of into high school, but you know, coming up as a kid, I was always interested in tools and gadgets and, you know, tinkering with stuff. So I think that what you point to there of the kind of the complexity of cameras was always, um, appealing to me. And, you know, there was, I have pictures from like middle school, you know, going on family trips and wanting to photograph, you know, cities and landscapes and stuff and just kind of naively just point and shoot, go out and frame things up. Um, but then kind of through high school, you know, starting to work with DSLRs, that was part of the aspect that was appealing to me of just this uh, technical challenge of, of kind of learning this new tool and, and, and using it to interact with the world in a certain way. Um, but, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't talk here about um, just the impact of uh, film and um, the actual physical images um, that I had the, the privilege of, of working with in high school. You know, we we had a dark room in my, um, in my art, like the art studios in high school. And, you know, it's looking back, uh, probably a pretty rare thing for, uh, you know, a high school built in the mid two thousands to, to have included that. Um, so, I mean, it was just the, I mean, it was like a one semester elective of, um, film photography and, you know, just that, I think a lot of photographers have had that, um, you know, magic experience of seeing a, a dark room, like a, an enlargement, you know, appear in the water for the first mm-hmm. time under that red light. Um, so I definitely experienced that. And, you know, I, I took that one semester class and, you know, everyone that, that was in the class, you know, kept working on other things, you know, moving on to the next class. And I was like always back in that dark room, just like mm-hmm. tinkering. And I, you know, shot 35 and then I wanted to move up into medium format. And then like, you know, I was like, oh, well, let's go shoot large format. So I like hustled and found a camera and, you know, I was hacking the enlargers together to try and, um, you know, the, the lenses have to be set up to do that. And I didn't realize that at the time. So I was just like trying to jam this film in and, and get an image out of it. So there was definitely that like, um, I think early on that, that sense of, okay, well, you know, this is a mechanical process. Um, it's a mechanical and chemical process and then eventually a digital process. But like, how do I grab hold of these tools and, and make something new out of it, you know, take kind of ownership of it. So, um, that was a, a thrilling process for sure of, of, uh, seeing that 
physical image kind of emerge from the the filmmaking or the um, film photography process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, <clears throat> I think same experience freshman year of college. Um, we had a dark room on campus, and um, it was fantastic because as an introvert, I was able to uh, put like thirty hours a week in the dark room and just listen to music and hang out with grad students, and it was uh, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, because uh, yeah, the, the, you know, some of the process with film uh, really sucks. Um, but some of the process is fantastic, especially within the dark room. And those tools are fantastic. And part of me um, really kind of mourns the loss of that as a part of like more a more generalized art education, right? Um, I mean, I know there are some places that have art programs where they're not even dealing with any sort of film or dark room, anything uh, for for image. Um, but having that background, um, how does that impact what you do with with digital now? Mm, mm. Um, uh, I'll touch on here um, just what you said about uh, the uniqueness of that experience, and you know, just while you were saying that, one thing that popped into my head was just the uh, developing large format film mm. and like tanks and yeah, uh, just you know, I haven't done it in, in years at this point. Uh, I haven't had access to a dark room to do it in, but I've got everything for a dark room in my attic. If okay. you ever want to put, uh, one I together. think a lot of people have <laughs> everything for the dark room in the attic. I might be one of those people in a few years. Who knows? <laughs> uh, no, but um, just sitting in, you know, we had closets for you know with sinks and at VCU in the dark room and um, with the four by five film, you'd put it in on hangers and develop it in an open tank. You know, it's not like the reels where you mm-hmm. can seal it and then, you know, pour all the chemicals in and out with 35. So, um, I think there was, you know, just an amazing experience of with large format, you know, having to rehearse, uh, all the actions to kind of create those images and, and the fragility of the film. When you go into the room, lock the door, seal it up, turn off the light, and then you pull all the film out of the holders and it's just open to the air, you know, and you have to pour all the the water out, you know, pour the chemicals and like do the right sequence. And you have to remember where everything is in the room to, um, you know, facilitate these images or else it's ruined. You know, you have lost film before of like, ah, you know, I forgot to mix this chemical or like this thing spilled and now I don't have fix and I can't, mm-hmm. you know, there's just no way to save these images. So, um, you know, as circuitous as that is, I think um, I experience that most when I'm doing digital work with um, certain types of light. Um, I was um, I was photographing over the weekend doing some uh, architectural documentation, which is one of the, the freelance projects I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the the light uh, around sunrise and sunset lasts for you know 20, 30 minutes sometimes. That's when you have that perfect window to to photograph a building um, and you know, that'll disappear so quickly. And, you know, the weather patterns, you know, might not be the same the next day. And so you really, um, you know, we think of digital and it's easy for me to think of digital as something that can be corrected and fixed and just endlessly manipulated. But, um, you know, actually capturing that image, it still has that fragility um, of a moment that can't be repeated, um, especially in those early and late hours. So, um, you know, those uh, kind of have that same feeling you know, as, as when that image is very fragile on the film too. So that's nice. uh, yeah, one thing I think about. Yeah. I, one of the things, I mean, just kind of, <clears throat> so for me working in art foundations and, and actually, you know, looking at a lot of aspiring artists coming through and you'll get, you know, artists that are like pure analog applicants or you'll get, um, you know, applicants that are, 
you know, pure photography. And over the last decade, it's like we're seeing this, you know, uh, progressive shift to strongly um, uh, digital, you know. I mean, it's been happening for a long time, but you can definitely see the proportionality of students becoming more just purely digital applicants. And then so what, what you see is a, you know, a laziness in the uh, sometimes in the work because there's those assumptions that you're talking about where it's like it's you know it seems like anybody who's working in the dark room now or silver point or i don't know what are some of the other i don't know silver point's not photography yeah yeah my brain my brain uh but what are, so what am i thinking of um, silver gelatin silver gelatin yeah um sometimes we get stuff like that and i'm like it's got to be somebody that's in like an older high school with somebody who's an older instructor who's kind of brought this older approach to the forefront. And so my mind is thinking that like there may be a boomerang in like the next 10 years where that, like, like the way that, um, record press yeah, yeah, came yeah. back around. And so that's my, my hunch is that that's going to happen. There's going to be a smaller few that sort of carry it forward and creates an appeal, uh, to a, a future audience that is so removed mm. that, um, that becomes gathered back up. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of contemporary photographers still work in film. Yeah. Um, you know, I think large format film, especially, you know, mm -hmm. still has enough technical benefits that some photographers mm -hmm. still kind of, yeah. you know, I mean, every photographer, I think, well, not every, but many photographers still have that kind of love affair with, with film and kind of that traditional process. It's the, the scarcity that makes you slow down and kind of the, um, that one shot mm -hmm. aspect of it that, That's right. you know, is appealing to so many people. So I think, yeah. it, you know, there's the infrastructure is not there though. I mean, oh, no. So, yeah. you know, high schools, like you said, are taking it away. And I've sat through a lot of discussions where universities are, are just, mm. you know, so it's interesting. You see that with um, like these potentials where certain infrastructures are going away. So like glass blowing infrastructure is going away. It's costly. Even ceramics to a certain extent have the potential of like being scaled down and institutions because of the cost. So cost is, is pushing aside and everything is moving. So like in, re I, I see the, like replacements of new milieus of uh, image capturing and, and creating like around VR. Mm -hmm. So like, it's like money is, is stretched and, and airing or ebbing towards that, which is perceived as progressive or the newest or whatever. And it's creating this really interesting, Phenomena where I think um, this other stuff is like you said. There's still people that are uh, working probably uh, more than we realize in these these uh, uh, processes that um, will look somewhere else to you know uh, find reinforcement or infrastructure for that. You know I don't know if that's going to come in some other kind of educational model, um, but because high schools are going to continue to go where the money is, and money's always going to go towards the, yeah. the latest and the sure, greatest. Sure. And yeah, so it's just an interesting um, connecting point to be in. And one of the things I guess I'm thinking about is uh, this is going to sound kind of kind of messed up, perhaps, but I think this is true of painters as well. I think it's true of a lot of makers. I think we hit growth levels that are like plateaus that you can get stuck at, like Arrested Development. Hmm. So you can be stuck in a plateau where you've romanticized painting and you can't get past it to doing what maybe you really should be doing with it. And I think that's one of the points of departure I see in, in photography. Um, but also, I think photography has had to struggle against a contemporary art canon that set the rules predicated on the history of painting for what is perceived as contemporary. 
And so you've seen, I, I feel like I've seen a lot of photographers want to enter into that milieu, but feel they have to do it through some kind of um, mold of painting, painting language and discourse. And because um, it's like, that's the path. And if you fall off that path, you're falling into the ubiquity of, of like cell phones and sure. vacation yeah. photography, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, photography has been bound up since its creation and, and all of the um, commercial, all of the uh, benefits to the, to the other things that it does. Um, you know, photojournalism, mm -hmm. um, you know, news, just every <laughs> photojournalism is the only one I can come up with right now. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, well, images, advertisement, yeah, advertisement, just, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Television, television, you know, down the line, just like mm -hmm. um, just documentary evidence, even just this notion that, you know, because I saw it in a photograph, then I can trust that it happened or existed mm -hmm. or, you know, and that's been unraveling and being challenged, obviously, for you know, as long as, you know, 200 years now that photography has been around. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that part of what makes photography struggle um, in some sense in that contemporary art space discourse is how ubiquitous it is, you know, in other areas of life. Um, mm -hmm. And if kind of ubiquity is the thing that um, fuzzies art, I guess, then, um, you know, kind of folk painting or you mm -hmm. know, these lower forms of painting, I guess, that some people might might see because it's more ubiquitous. Um, you know, photography struggles with that even, even to a greater degree. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I think the constraints set up a precedence for really amazing photography coming from a proportionately, you know, like there's photographers that can do incredible things like, you know, in, in sort of classical categories like landscapes and portraiture just like there's painters that can do incredible things with landscape and portraiture so there's like these tiers of kinds of people that devote their energy and time to certain kinds of images and then and then you then you get into like this other lane of um exper experimentation you know critical theory and that kind of thing and and so um depending on what year you talk to me i have a different view on that um <laughs> i'm either harsher on photography or i've like you know like today i'm feeling more charitable <laughs> but some years I'm like, I hate photography. <laughs> hey, me too. Uh, you know, I mean, but you know, but it's a bias. It's a bias yeah. in, you know, cause, because it's the truth is like, there's like days where I hate painting too. I mean, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's just like a saturation point and you get tired of, um, uh, sort of settling for less than what's possible. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, with anything, um, but I look at so many portfolios a year sure. that you, you know, it's like, there's like things that started to happen. It's like, I don't ever want to see railroad tracks yes. in perspective again. <laughs> I don't ever want to see like young teenage people with eyeliner running down their face, frolicking in the forest. Yeah. 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 I don't want to ever see anybody else laying in a bathtub full of milk, looking at me with like really sincere eyes or looking up at what trees. Insincere eyes. Your insincere eyes. I mean, there's these <laughs> things that are so tropish like yeah. that you're just blown away that you're like how ubiquitous is this trope like is is uh well um staggering you know I'm, I'm curious you know certainly photography is uh especially adolescent photography yeah you, know, you have that uh arrogance that how you see the world yeah, that's is right. completely new than yeah. how anyone else has yeah, ever yeah, seen yeah. it um <laughs> without any context but um 
And, you know, I think photography lends itself to that easy expression of like, oh, my gosh, I can see this thing. So I'll go take a picture yeah. of it. And now the world knows how yep. brilliant I am. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I certainly made a lot of those photos. Yeah. A lot yeah, of railroad yeah. tracks in perspective. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm curious, does, does some of those tropes come across in painting or illustration? Oh, or, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, so the same thing. It's like you get people that make um, uh, one that that was going on for years and we hunted down the source because we're like, we have to know how this happened. It was, um, I put this in quotations, realistic eyes in the center of a page with watercolor running down the eyes, dripping down the eyes, or like wax from crayons. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, thousands of every year, tens of thousands mm. um, of, of that image. Or um, illustrations of squid or octop- octopus. <laughs> like, you know... Uh, <laughs> Where you're like, what is that? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. is that it's something about from? the. It's something about the bulk of a yeah. body of an octopi. Is it or octopus? The, octopus, and then the 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 curve curvature or curvilinear, like you know, arm arms or appendages. I don't know. There's some ratio that intuitively is attractive to people that want to make a drawing. Yeah. Um. But every form has it. Yeah. 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 So it's not. That's why I said it's like. But photography, for some reason, um, here's the here's the interesting thing about photography. I think is it's the mechanical mediation to the image, whereas the mechanical mediation between pencil and hand is uh, uh, more closely reinforces the enablement or or lack thereof of the hand itself. Mm. You see it more readily. Whereas with the photograph, there's there's I mean I mean I've seen some bad fo- photography. Sure, where, you know, sure. But you see some great photography. That just doesn't the subject matter's not there, you know, and you can tell like, gosh, if this person gets into the right space, they can, they can, you know. Um, but then you see a lot of just middle of the road um, photography that it's like the hands removed, so you're it forces more emphasis on the image and then the subject that it's is dealing with. If that makes sense. There's like directionality to it, possibly. I mean, I'm thinking this out loud, but so there's something about that where you just kind of go, you know. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. I had somebody uh, in one of our years who's a photographer, and, um, uh, and they're great, man. Like you, you, you start to work through the eyes of somebody who's, who's that's their, their field of expertise, and you start to they sensitize you to things. You know what I mean? Um, and I just think photography has a, a tough go mm. because of the ubiquity thing. I think in some ways photographers have it the hardest um, because of everybody's got it. Everybody's a photojournalist now by virtue mm-hmm. of their phone. It's, it's quite hard for me. Yeah. yeah. Every, yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know if sarcasm translates. Yeah, tra- it may not. <laughs> it may not. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I, I love, I mean, I always like one of my favorite art shows I've ever been to was Thomas DeMond. Mm. I mean, and he's a photographer, best show I've ever seen. One of the best top five, top 10, maybe. Um, and so, you know, you see what's possible and it makes you want to see that more. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, and I think that, you know, uh, you know, it's 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 great to think about embodied experiences in this COVID time. Um, yeah, I, I miss it. One of the last shows I saw at the VMFA, um, the uh, Edward Hopper, mm-hmm. um, they had yeah. a Gregory Crudson photograph there. Mm-hmm. Massive, massive. I mean, 10 feet long. Yeah. Six, seven feet high, you know. And I've only ever seen Gregory Crudson images in books and in, uh, you know, online. And, you know, photographers can delude themselves. I delude myself sometimes of saying, okay, well, yeah, I saw the image in the book. I saw the image. Yep. But, you know, it's, 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 
intellectually, you can know how he makes the images, you know, eight by 10 camera, basically lit like a movie set. You know, he has 20 person crews and hundred thousand dollars plus worth of lights to, to make these images. Um, you know, you can know that and then you can look in the book and say, okay, great. Um, like I can see all the, all the fruit of that, um, intense work and expertise mm-hmm. and knowledge, but to, um, to stand in front of that, uh, the actual finished image, the thing that he was intending to create, um, you know, you, you don't get the embodied experience of mm-hmm. that expertise until you stand in front of what he intended to be yeah, the final the product. Full, the full intention oh, is, yeah. is brought to oh, bear. I mean, yeah. if you think about blowing up just even an average or above average photograph to that size, you know, it never, never hold up in that same, you know, just force of, you know, punching you in the chest with, yeah, you know, the right. details and yeah. the, you know, just the, the richness of those photographs. So that's why, that's why, um, shout out to our studio peep, Will Conley. I love Will Conley's photos. Yes. Yeah. I really, that, you know, so he's one of my favorites because he just does his, it's so kind of idiosyncratically him mm. and, and he brings a certain scale to the equation. Oh yeah. And these, he runs interference. I mean, he, he intervenes in ways that, um, activate the work and so i always go back i I love will's work i mean i've always been a huge like champion of will's work as a photographer and he's uh Um, he's willing to you know let the work simmer you know it's like that long game in photography which you know is uh not antithetical but you know not not the disposition of a photographer to totally to think of something over five ten years yeah it's insane let it marinate (laughs) yeah it's like it's real like he really is there like so it's kind of an admirable quality that i don't find a lot um and odd pivot odd pivot but Will always makes me think of this, I guess, but I was working in my mind, I mean, because we're moving towards talking about film and um, just personal side is like, I absolutely love film stills of Alfred Hitchcock films. Mm. And I'm like, I, you know, I've thought about, I'm like, I absolutely love, and I, I don't know how relevant that is, but just to say that um, something about the images that are generated from a motion film and the way that structure informs the kind of images that can be lifted out, something about that relationship. I'm also so biased because Hitchcock is like my favorite filmmaker, like many, you know, I'm just a sucker like a lot of people, but I just absolutely love Hitchcock films. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. uh, you know, jumps into my mind, obviously, is Cindy Sherman's yep. subtitled film mm-hmm. stills, just like yeah. pulling out that that narrative that's in, endowed in that individual frame of an image and, uh, right. you know, just kind of photography lets you you know, then marinate with that over time. So, you know, you just get that kind of, you know, I love those because it's, uh, you know, the lack of film around it to give Mm -hmm. the, you know, the actual story, but yeah, all the, the mystery of the story is in, in those images. So yeah, it's also interesting because you know, if you go through kind of a traditional kind of, um, film process of, uh, coming up with an idea, generating it, having some form of a storyboard for that idea, whether it's in your mind or on paper, moving to a motion image and then moving back to the stills. Uh, there's something interesting about all of that mm. um, where it's like, it, you know, at one moment, um, and this is where I kind of wanted to get bridging that gap between your photo work and your film work is like at one moment that moving image was a, were, were, they were stills in your mind. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're probably uh, like scene qualities that were coming through um, that had to be extrapolated into a larger uh, kind of moving narrative form. Um, and so, you know, with that, uh, I think the question I have, Nick, is in, what do you feel like that relationship between uh, photographic work and film work? Like how do they each kind of inform each other or strengthen each other in different ways? How do you see their 
kind of connection together because I don't see them as discrete. Mm. Um, mm. So how do they actually react or work in tandem with each other as you're doing film? Sure. Um, well, uh, one of the, the credit lines in the builder um, that I gave myself because I edited it and, you know, I made the credits. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I love the credits. Yeah, it's uh, one of my favorite things about the movie. Yeah. You got to watch it all the way through, uh, at, you know, all mm-hmm. the way to the very end. It's all the way to the end. Drink it to the dregs. Per- yeah. It's just yes. perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, so director of photography um, mm-hmm. is how I kind of saw my, my role. Um, one of the most kind of important and gratifying roles in the film was obviously making the visual elements of it. Um, and that's, you know, I have to tread lightly, you know, having not worked as a, a DP on an official film set, um, you know, and uh, there's there's so much baggage, I guess, in the, the film industry as a profession. And, you know, we mm. we make films and we're, we're trying to wade into those waters. Um, but, uh, you know, that director of photography role, I guess, is is uh, being tasked with the um, the supervision of the look of the films, obviously on a bigger set, they're going to be overseeing camera operators and working with the director to kind of bring about that, that vision and, and set the, set the course for the whole film. Um, for me, it was, you know, I was the guy holding the camera and, uh, you know, I had to have the vision when I was on the set, you know, making the interviews and I had to shoot it. So, you know, I was camera operator, director of photography, if you want to, you know, inflate the number of credit lines, but, you know, being a one man band, sometimes you just have to wear all the hats. Um, yeah. but, um, to answer your question, I think that, um, the, crossover from still image making for me has always been scrutiny. Um, and not that people that only do filmmaking don't scrutinize their images, but for me, it has always been, uh, my critical eye from still image making it was, was very easy to transfer over into filmmaking. Um, so especially with going back to film, you know, when I would scan that and turn it into a digital image, you know, then I had to edit out every single piece of dust. So I would, you know, especially for large format images, sometimes you'd be staring at one picture for 10, 15 hours, you know, over the course of several days, just editing out all these little specks of dust. Um, so in that time, you know, I learned easily to not uh, let any ounce of the frame, any square inch of the frame escape my notice. Um, so, you know, when we started making the builder and, you know, that was always making sure that every frame was as good as I could, make with the vision that I had and the equipment that I had was, was, was paramount to me. And, um, you know, not letting any, any shot get into the film that didn't, um, have that consistency, um, quality. And then also just, uh, especially with a lot of the, the scenic images kind of support the, the notions and ideas that we were working with in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that, that still image making, you know, helped me to scrutinize, um, all the visual aspects of the film, which, you know, I, I enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think it's a, a, a good chance for us to jump into the film. Um, uh, because I mean, where I'd like to jump off with that, asking you all about it. Um, uh, first of all is, um, you're talking about this attention to detail and the visual look of the film and, uh, those kind of, um, all the supporting pieces that go into the overall feel of uh, the particular scenes. So, um, you know, this might be a weird question, but what, what was kind of the first, like, what was that first scene in y'all's minds of this film? Like, what was the, the first part you saw 
that had to be realized. Yeah. Well, so I had, you know, I met, you know, this is in the film. I actually got the dates wrong in the film. It drives me nuts. So I met Don, I think it was 2012. Um, you know, we, and it's in the film. So, you know, I don't want to say too much, but we, you know, we bartered for some art and there's a whole story there. And so Don iconically oftentimes wore a red shirt. So fast forward into 2017 and and we're bartering again for some work and he's building my studio. He's got a red shirt on and Laura, actually I had her record him. We recorded him. I would leave, go to work. She would record him. We had some like cell phone footage. We just wanted something. And I just said like, Hey, I just want some video footage of him building my studio out. And, um, so in my mind, somewhere in that film, there was two things that had to happen that I could see. It's just him wearing, I mean, it sounds silly, but it's just him wearing a red shirt, doing what he does on the job site and him driving in his van. Because there are these two things that characterize, you know, it's like the shirt absorbs all the sweat from the work. The shirt is dirty, but the red's resilient. And he's, he's got a, uh, you know, he's, all, he's always tan. <laughs> his hair is always right. So he's like this gritty, you know, construction worker. But there's these things that stay persistent with him that yeah. become personifications or embodiments, if you will. And the same with the van. So you see him around town and, and uh, it's just something you can't disconnect from yeah. him. So for me, uh, in 2017, it's like, I could see him drive like so there's a there's a scene in the film that you know Nick and I talked and I was like we gotta get you gotta go drive with him. Just get him to drive you around town, ask him ask him questions. And you know, there are some sound quality issues and like some difficulty doing it, but it's like we gotta get that. And so it's in there and it's like it's exactly what I saw in my head. It it, it really, really is. It it tickles me to no end. Um it's one of my favorite it's the best introduction to him in my mind. That whole first sequence is like He's wearing a red shirt, by the way. I'm just like, that's what I saw. Yeah, I wanted you know? to. I wanted to talk about that too. You know, just because I know that that was to Gareth's point. Like, you know, Ryan as my co-director. You know, he had the vision for this film kind of starting out, and so part of my responsibility not only as co-director to help realize the film, but also director of photography to give the actual images and vision to the film. Um, was accomplishing what, what Ryan saw. So that was really the first, the first image, you know, even if I didn't know it, you know, I had some of my first experiences as well. But I think for, for me, it was an interesting experience because, you know, I was like, all right, I'll just jump in this car. And like Don, you know, he, <laughs> you know, filming with Don is uh, an interesting experience. He's mm-hmm. simultaneously like the most open person I've ever, I've almost ever filmed, like to the point where I go into the room with him with my camera, you know, I had shoulder rig and microphone and like sometimes I had a light with me and you know other people would just be very self-conscious you know Don and his guys just I was out of the room in their minds yeah, you just, disappeared man oh my goodness yeah. and it was amazing you yeah. know and 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 then that's not something I experienced very often but also yeah. you know he was like ah you know we're gonna get started 10 o'clock and you're nine o'clock and you know I show up and they're at Lowe's and you know I'm just sitting there with my camera <laughs> and in this you know gutted house and you know and I'm like all right well I guess I'll just wait here until uh, Don shows up and then he shows up and starts working and I turn on my camera and that was a normal day of filming. And, and so with the, with the car, I mean, like in my mind, you know, I wanted to control variables. I wanted to make it technically excellent. Like we were talking about and that's not, you know, Don's, uh, yeah, it's not, a, not the way he thinks is, uh, well, 
yeah, again, it's weird because he, you know, controls all the variables in his projects. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some of the other things, you know, become less important. Like, you know, how is this guy going to get his film? You know, he was like, oh, I got to go talk to this lady in Southside. You know, I'm just standing there. And, you know, I was like, well, well Ryan really wants to get some footage in the car, uh, you know, in the van. So can we, Yeah. can I ride along with you? He was like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, whatever, you know. And I'm like, with my camera on my lap, you know, just <laughs> hand holding it. I'm like having to break it all apart to like sit in the seat with it. And I'm like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. It's going to look weird. Yeah, I don't know. And like. You know, I showed it to Ryan and I'm like, I think I got what, you know, I think we got some of the stuff. And Ryan was just like, yes, that's, you know, that is exactly right. That's perfect. And like, yeah, you know, you just got to watch the film to, to see what's actually there. Um, but, you know, it was, you know, I was pleased, you know, especially now thinking back on it to have kind of accomplished that iconic vision that that Ryan sort of had fixed in his mind. So, yeah, I mean, so that it's worth mentioning, I wanted to do the film and sat on the idea because I was like, it has to be with the right person. Like as far as who's going to, who, who's, who can do the video work, who can, who has the skills, the vision, the care. And it need, you know, I'm a generalist, you know, so, I mean, I have a big picture typically in my mind and, um, you know, I have to work that out, uh, to a certain level. And, you know, you want someone that actually has, um, executing abilities and can get into the granular, um, cause I feel like that makes for a good, balance you know you got to know your weaknesses and your strengths and vice versa so if you're gonna like dance and and collaborate and so i had just i was like i want to do this and i believe in this idea there's so much to it in terms of who he is and how he's impacted richmond and how much that links into sort of the history of the way museums are built and uh, the types of people that have historically collected art are not what you think all the time right yeah so you're like this is a story that's special it's a gem and it reinforces a truth that we're less aware of that was not talked about in art school. And so I could see all this, you know, I could, and I, I knew all the people I'd built all these relationships. So I had this like in the, in the back of me, but what I didn't have was a vision of who could do it. So I had options, but none of them ever really made me feel like, yeah, I want to do it with this person. And so Nick of his own volition made a little char- a goofy video of a, a friend of ours, uh, a, a, a Who's who, a professional musician? Who John made the Bibbs. music for the trailer. Yeah, he made the music for the trailer. Shout out to John Bibbs. He he's like an R and B sort of singer. You know, I mean, just extraordinary. Ver- yeah, extraordinary. Really multi talented. And so um, John had made a funny song, kind of off, as just like a, a you know just having fun called Tooth Chipper, mm-hmm. <laughs> just hilarious. And so um, uh, some other fellow Shaka Art Space peeps, including Nick. Nick made this video. So no one's making them make this video and there's no reason to make it as well as it's made mm-hmm. that is externalized. Like no, no one's saying we're paying you to do this. No one's saying anything like that at all. So Nick makes this video. And now we've all been friends for a long time. So it's not like I don't know who Nick is and what he can do on some level. But what I was waiting for is for the kind of person that had the abilities but would do things of their own volition. Like you, ha- you needed that because this was going to be a very, very um, difficult project. Uh, Limited time, no budget, all of these factors, right? Um, so Nick makes this video and I see it and I'm like, oh my gosh, like he has no idea. This is it. He's the guy. <laughs> so once I saw that video, I was like, I could trust him to do this. We can work together. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, so it's funny because Nick gave me a vision through his, his humorous take on Tooth Chipper uh, with Josh Williams and Drew Webster, who are part of our Shaco Art Space team. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it was done well. You know, yeah, it, yeah. it was like, this is this quality, that ability for this, 
put to something with in, that has intention and maybe a little more consequence or value or meaning. Um, and we got together and kind of started to work through like, what's this film about? Like, why are we doing this story? What's it about? And I shared with him what I wanted to do and what I thought it was about. And he came back with like pages of notes and diagrams and, um, all typed up. And, and I was like, yeah, I picked the, <laughs> I picked the right guy to work with. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds a whole lot like, um, you know, something you said earlier, Nick, you, when, when we were talking about Will, you said something, you know, like, sounded like maybe sometimes photographers can be impatient. They want to grab that image. They don't necessarily want to sit with that idea for a few years. But it sounds like this is actually something that was really sitting for a while. And it was that uh, there was something about the thread of this story or the thing that needed to be told that uh, kind of begged for it to take more time to come to life. Um, yeah, that incubation period, I just want to say that. That incubation yeah. period is funny because Don... I owed Don a painting and I've been sitting on the painting because I, I wanted it in the, in the hypothetical film that I didn't know how to make <laughs> with my cell phone. You know, I mean, I knew, I mean, it's in, it's like in your head, but you know, I'm not a, I'm a painter. I, you know, I, I think along the lines of story quite a bit. I have story minded mind in many ways, but, um, so there was from 2017 till, uh, when do we, yeah, till 2019. So two years mm-hmm. and, that two years was important. It kind of, it kind of uh, needed to marinate into like, like we had to get some things done to believe that we could do it. Mm-hmm. Even you and I, you know, so us getting the podcast going, like there's, yeah, yeah. there was several things that actually had to happen. Dominoes had to fall of taking ideas into actuality. And you have to keep doing that repeatedly. Like I know how to make paintings. I know how to take an idea and bring it in actuality as a painting. But when you started expanding out into collaborative spaces, it's a different, uh, space and tone, but also I, the relationships in the film that we got in the film in those two years, many essential relationships deepened in those two years to the point that we could call people and say, can you, can you do this? Whereas two years earlier, some of those relationships hadn't, uh, enjoyed themselves strongly enough. So there's something really interesting about, about the timing of those two years that had to do with the, the know and be known factor we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, even with Nick and I, like the maturity level of Nick as a younger artist, if I could be honest, I think had to incubate. So like Nick wouldn't have been ready in 2017, even though I wasn't thinking about Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, none of us would have been ready. Right, right. We wouldn't have been able to carry it forward. None of us. Yeah. You know, um, we didn't have any any at that at 17 we had you weren't in Richmond Mm-mm. you had been out for a bit you know I mean you were studying Richmond but you were in Charlottesville yeah. like there's so many factors that had to maturate oh, to yeah. that critical point so hindsight is very providential it's just extremely obvious that it was the right time yeah I think it's just it's just really interesting thinking about you know a lot of times I feel like we say oh I got an idea I should run with it right now mm-hmm. um, but that idea of like pushing or pulling an idea at the wrong time and the ability to take an idea and essentially kill it yeah. Um, by doing the wrong things with it. Um, you know, the idea of like stewardship to the idea and stewardship to the creativity, um, that it's actually something that probably has a bit more, uh, we, maybe we shouldn't be so flippant with it. I yeah. think we, t- we tend to be a bit flippant with things like creativity and ideas. Oh, it's a dime a dozen. Anybody can be creative. Like mm-hmm. while those things may be true, um, actualizing those ideas, I think it's a very different process. Yeah. So, uh, that being said, talking about this incubation period, the fantastic thing about incubation periods is they tend to be much longer than the action period, <laughs> right? <laughs> so if you think about even just like, you know, uh, natural uh, reproduction, and like an animal may be 
incubating their child for a long time, but then the birth process, it can happen very quickly. Yep. Did y'all have that experience on this film? No. No, it was, I mean, several <laughs> years. Still working on it. We're still, yeah. <laughs> uh, let me, yeah, let me jump in here. Um, yeah. Uh, first of all, I want to give a huge shout out to the rest of the Shaco Art Space team that yep. helped make this happen. I mean, Shane Taylor was, was instrumental in, yeah. in bringing this about. And I think that, you know, can't go without saying on the front end of all of this, cause it definitely wasn't a, uh, a solo production just nope. between me and Ryan. Um, and you know, on the topic of collaboration, I think, um, you know, Ryan, you were talking about your thinking as a generalist. Um, and I just, I mean, through the tumultuous process of the production, which we'll, we'll touch on in more detail, but, um, just, I think what was helpful for me was always that, you know, I never, never lost the, the big picture that you had like really, really clearly, you know, you had that down pat it's like i know what this story is i know what's there i know what isn't there and you know in when i was getting down in the weeds of of making everything you know that was uh crucial and i think the, the kind of nature of that co-director relationship um in the most true sense of like okay well you know ryan is not going to lose the thread of this because he's got this got the story so you know just endless discussions on the on the editing end you know mm-hmm. going through the process of making it was you know uh, a quick birth, you know, a short labor, yeah. <laughs> intense, a very short labor. intense short labor. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm just laughing, thinking about it, kind of the early days of filming. Um, because, you know, Ryan says, all right, let's, let's make this film. Let's make this film. You know, I'd kind of heard whispers of it. You know, he was, I knew he was kind of getting ready to do it. Um, but you know, I think that context was there, like you were saying, for that creativity to kind of come out and say, all right, well, everything else lined up, just life circumstances, you know, just with with me and with Ryan, with the team, you know, with Chaco mm-hmm. Art Space, you know, it was like, all right, well, this is this is go time. So, you know, it's and it's funny because the uh, there's that aspect of patience and impatience, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I'm not organized as everything in life. I'm not as organized in everything in life as what Ryan was saying of like bringing notes and like trying to write out everything and, and plan stuff. But like, that was kind of the, what the, what the context helped create is that desired. Okay. Like not only do you have to do the work of doing the films and edits and talking to people and just all the logistical things that have to happen to bring that about, but you know, you have to think and write and, and, you know, do all the, the mental legwork too, to, to, um, you know, create a environment in which it's sustainable to continue shooting, you know, go out and shoot in a house for six hours, you know, sweaty middle of summer in Virginia, <laughs> it's hot, uh, and then turn around and shoot two or three interviews in the, in the evening, which is sometimes what we did, you know, we yeah, would, at a know. museum or someone's studio. Oh my or, goodness. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, I mean, it was, it was, it was a sprint, you know, yeah. <laughs> while we were making it. But yeah. 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 I mean, it was, it was, um, yeah, shout out to Shane. I mean, one of my favorite days is when we went, we went out on this, just we went out on like sort of Broad Street, which is like the hub of a lot of galleries and a lot of activity, a lot of things happening. And, you know, just interviewing people cold on their view of art and galleries. And, and um, just the, it's all the off scene stuff that's, that's a joy and hilarious and fun. Um, and it's eye opening to hear what people think and how they, how they think or how they perceive you with a camera. I said, Oh my gosh, if you want to meet people, walk down the street with a camera crew and a mic yeah. and, and, uh, and people will run down literally from the tops of buildings to see what you're doing and if they can get in on it. I mean, you could, <laughs> you know, what I mean, yeah, that literally the, happened. We had the, the boom pole and yeah. you know, Shane was, 
yeah. overhead boom pole and I had the shoulder camera set up and Ryan was doing the interviews. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, new it experience was, for all of us. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was all first. <laughs> yeah. It was like, uh, yeah, it was like, I mean, I remember being just being scared to death to be honest, I'm scared to death. And then I'm like, finally, we're like, we're going to just do this one. We're going to do this person right over here. And that was, and that was the home. This whole film was like <laughs> one big home run. Every time we, we were, I was scared half the time. Every time we stepped towards something, people said things that so perfectly that we couldn't, we just would look at each other. We'd just be like, oh my gosh, they said it perfectly. Yeah. Like they don't yeah. even know what we're doing exactly. And they're, they're fulfilling beyond our expectations. Like it just, it just rolled like that all the way through, you know? So it went quickly. And I got to say, shout out to, to BJ Kosin and, um, Jen, um, Glave, um, because Gavi Kosin took over current art fair. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that, ha I mean, I just got to say this. One of the reasons why I wanted to make this film is I went to current art fair and I couldn't help but be frustrated by in 2017 by this um, assumption that certain types of people collect art. Yeah. And if we just set up a fair, people are going to show up. And it's like, and then everybody is shocked when, when folks don't show up. And it's like, well, what are we doing to show people that they belong in this picture? And it's like something has to be done. And, and, and this is serendipitously the time that I'm thinking about this film with Don. And I'm like, this film would serve the art fair so well. And so um, the art fair took a hiatus in 2018. And so in my mind, it's like, we, if we could do this before current art fair 2019, I think it'd be a big benefit to the city, to the galleries, to the community. It'd be a big corrective and a rebuke in some ways, but also an invitation. I mean, I had some, very, very pointed desires for this film uh, prior to Nick and I joining up or whatever. And, um, and so BJ, Gareth and I, you know, we spent some time talking with BJ about different things we could do as a nonprofit to add value to the current art fair. Mm -hmm. And they got a, th serendipitously, they got a theater this year, you know, in their, in their equation, like a theater space, if you will, it's a modest space, but it was still functionally, he was already in his brain. It was a theater space before we ever told him what we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so when we said we're, we're working on a film, we don't know, <laughs> we don't know if it'll be done or not in time, but, and he said, well, if it is, I'd love to show it. And mm -hmm. that I think catalyzed our ability to get this movie done. Oh, yeah. We said, well, I guess we got to make it done. We got to make it now. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I, I, you know, it's truly um, a community effort. And then there's a backstory to how we met Don that has to do with so many other people that are so important to us in our community. And so that's for another day. But um, there's so many layers to the way that this could even come together. It's so far outside of just like two people. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, you know, you have this story in your mind, Ryan, uh, you share with Nick, Nick, you've got this, this, this backlog of, um, you know, building up the, the skills and the prowess in the field. So we've got these raw ingredients, um, going into this, but as we've talked a lot, uh, you and uh, Ryan and I, you know, one of the things is that with any kind of uh, artist at any level, we're never just doing the things we know how to do, mm -hmm. um, so can uh, can both of y'all talk a little bit about maybe the things that popped up that had to be like a learn on the fly or figure out in the moment or uh, even anything just pointed to a realization of like maybe a skill set that you didn't think was so deep or just like how did you how how was that like maturation as an artist through this process taking place? Mm -hmm. um, location audio was, uh, uh, you know, probably one of the first <laughs> things that I needed to uh, trial by fire. I mean, you know, I had done small little films for like small businesses and stuff. That was kind of the 
the main scope of what I had done professionally. Um, and you know, I was never, uh, oblivious to the need to have good audio, but you know, I would throw $20 lapel mic on a $100 pocket recorder and just, mm-hmm. you know, say, Oh, run this up through your shirt and, you know, stick that in your pocket. And, you know, it was somebody promoting their small business. So they're like, all right, yeah, that's what I do. And, uh, you know, then it's off to the races and it sounded fine. And, um, you know, I quickly realized like, okay, well, we're going to be going into some contexts where it's not as viable to do that. You know, we're going to be interviewing, you know, higher end people, you know, shorter contexts, like, and furthermore, it doesn't sound great. You know, it sounds okay. Um, I want to make this as, as good as I know how to. So, you know, I mean, I worked with like uh, shotgun mics and boom poles and stuff. So it's like, you know, I knew of it, you know, it's things that I learned about in school. Um, but, you know, went out and did that for the first time, you know, in a, in a, in a real sense on my own, um, you know, as I was setting up the interview sets and everything, you know, that was, and there were, you know, there were some errors too, you know, uh, one of the interviews in the film, I won't say which, um, but, uh, set up the mic too far from the subject's face. You know, I was nervous and, uh, made a mistake mm-hmm. and, uh, had to pay someone in Croatia a little bit of money to fix it. Um, but you know, I was (laughs) in the midst of it, you know, then I was trying to learn, I was trying to learn, I was trying to learn. Um, and it was outside of my expertise and it's like, I think, I think this can be saved, but you know, this interview is too important to, uh, to not get right sound wise. So, you know, I had to, you know, hire someone else with more experience to, uh, fill in the gaps there, but I knew it was, it was a deficiency that needed to be corrected. Um, even if I didn't get it right in the interview. So, Hmm. yeah, Yeah, I mean, there was so many things from like, we, uh, got somebody, I think it was in India, to transcribe all of the hours of interviews. I mean, we had hour-long interviews upon, I mean, we interviewed over 30 people, I think, something like that. I, I think it was a, I mean, maybe it was less, but it was a high 20 number. 20 to 30 people. 20 to 30 people. Yeah. We, not everybody made it in the film. So then just like, I remember just sitting through pages of transcription and having to make my brain think a different way mm. in terms of like the concision piece and editing down what actually is important in each of these. I mean, that's just not something my, I, you know, I don't do that. Like just, I mean, just talking like right out the jump, you're like, yeah, this is intimidating and overwhelming. I mean, I remember staying in my bed for, I don't know how many hours, just like sat up in my bed with it out, just like reading over things and rereading things. And then trying to think about what that looks like visually from sitting in the interviews. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Nick was really helpful for me. Like, helping me interview because Trent, like we talked about it in another interview we had, but translating a, um, me being very conversational into um, interacting with people and holding back and just letting them have empty space to speak and really letting that happen. I mean, in the beginning, I didn't know what I was, we didn't know, I, I know how to do this, but I didn't know how to do that. And so I feel like we got better as the film was being made mm-hmm. in almost every possible aspect the learning curve was pretty high. And I feel like when we were all together at the VMFA, that was one of those culminative moments for me where like we met with the Royals and that, that did something that like tweaked something, Bill and Pam Royal, who, you know, that's a whole other story. That's pretty, pretty special and and heartbreaking in a lot of ways or bittersweet. Mm -hmm. But the sequence of how we ended up interacting with each uh, uh, cast member in the film, if you will, was so pitch perfect because had we had not met with the Royals, we would have been more intimidated by the, uh, the whole state of affairs for, for being able to sit down with the chief curators of the VMFA. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I just remember leaving that saying, well, we, we entered a different space. We like the on the job embodied learning that happened in that moment, just the professionalism, the seriousness of the museum itself and the, the way in which the, so the, the many layers that had to be worked through to even get cameras into the space, the tension of, oh my gosh, a light falling, <laughs> a really amazing piece of art. And, you know, just the that insurance was, aspect. That was new for me too. So. Oh my gosh. You know, and then, <laughs> and then also then we had, we couldn't really have the cameras, you know, resting on any one image. Like there were so many factors that I just kept saying, I think we talked about this, but it's like, you're just changed on the spot. Like I was just changed on the spot. I remember going like, this is, this is transformational. Like this will, the way I learn is like, this was one of those culminative moments for me. Yeah. Ryan, I want to ask you, um, I mean, as a filmmaker, I've stepped into those contexts before where it's, you know, uh, like I had to, (laughs) my closest precursor to this project was one time I interviewed a woman's whole family for her mother's 100th birthday Mm -hmm. like i interviewed all these people like her grandchildren great-grandchildren like i was putting together a film for this woman's Mm -hmm. 100th birth like that was going to be shown to her at her birthday party and like (laughs) that was a strange you know uh stepping into a space where you still have to do creative work Mm -hmm. but you have external pressures sure um, in a really unique way Mm -hmm. um you know just other high-end places like when we used to shoot weddings like hundred thousand dollar plus weddings like you know as a as a painter do you have you had experiences like that before where you kind of have that you know I still have to perform a creative task but Mm -hmm. it's you know within all these external pressures that you know yeah really make it acute have you had experiences like that before I, I feel like they're you know if I could go backwards and track a trajectory the trajectory is like the first time I gave an artist talk about my work um in Sacramento and there was critics in in it was a packed house and um, I had my notes and I just put the notes down and did the talk and it was received really well. And um, so there's a line of those kinds of experiences repeated over and over again. So constantly getting confirmation of public speaking, um, always working out the nerves, but then also doing it leading groups, group discussions, but also then um, just teaching repeatedly and lecturing gave me some uh, sense of my voice and like what I can and can't say. And then I think that, um, took on a whole other gear when Gareth and I started doing this podcast. So it's like all of those things had to happen in that kind of sequence. So the podcast completely freed me up. Mm. So now, you know, just in Gareth has uh, elements of professionalism that are not a part of my background. So our continual discussions around, professionalizing and like how to think, how to think from a design sense, like all that stuff starts to fold into your brain or like, like we would, we, the Gareth and I did a bunch of pitches, uh, you know, just for Chaco art space. So, so you get used to sitting in front of people and saying, Hey, we're going to do this. And then Gareth would, we'd talk and then Gareth would crank out some kind of PDF that would have an, uh, organized way of, of putting together all the thoughts that we have. And then you sit down and you work it over and you keep doing that. So all those factors were, were cooking like almost to a boil right before the film. And if I didn't have that, I couldn't have sat down in front of those people Yeah, because I was already nervous enough. But with everything that I could appeal to, it had boiled me to the right point hmm. to where I could uh, take the step forward actionably as opposed to reclining away and being fearful. Yeah. So just being totally honest. And then once you did it a couple of times and you helped dial me in, 
away from the podcast aspect, then it was off to the races. I felt like, yeah, it's a, I mean, it was interesting for me, you know, I've done interviews in the past. I, I enjoy them question mark mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh you know especially i've only done a couple on-camera interviews and those are the worst i don't mm-hmm. like doing those at all um you know you gotta yeah. think about how you're sitting and yeah, you know, yeah, what yeah. you look like you know no yeah. way no way could yep. i do that but you know being an off-camera interview is 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 unique and i think one thing you said in one of our previous interviews was you know you had to you learn you had to learn how to let silence be have its voice in the film mm-hmm. you know i think that's something that's so different from radio um mm-hmm. from podcast of you know the expression somebody makes after they say something can say sometimes more than what totally. they said in the first place. So, you know, I think it's, it's a tense situation to do those off camera interviews, but you know, it's, um, it was cool for me to see you kind of develop that skill over time, over the course of doing the film of, you know, how to let that person, you know, stew with their thought just for a few seconds, you know? Yeah. Was, yeah. And I think it, you know, had some special moments in the film as a result of that. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, that's a total collaborative thing. I mean, I, um, now if I were to go, like, if we we're to go to do it again, it's so seared in my conscience that I have, I have an eye for it. You know, like I can, I rec it's like a, it's, it's goes from being unconscious to completely conscious and will be a whole different variable stepping in. The one thing that I think I believe we did decent at, or that helped is the, the interviews weren't canned. You know, the podcast style of conversation, we've been having these kind of conversations for so long just because that's how we conversate. So that intuitive uh, ability to make a space for someone to just kind of um, respond to the questions and trust in their ability to put together the picture without overcoaching them, without we, we never gave anybody the questions, any questions ahead of time. We never wrote the questions down. You'd be like, or what? What are we? What are we talking about today? And I just say these three things, <laughs> these four things. We're gonna ask them, and then you know, and then you set up a, a lot of space for um, surprises, and um, you know, I never felt like the conversations went flat. You know, people, people really stepped in. You know, so I mean, they did the work, and you know, in that sense, I mean, it was it was just. I mean, there's the thing. It's just it was just there. We just saw what was there. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and you know. I think again we've we've talked about it before, but that uh, that sense of you know we saw the film happen in front of us when we're doing mm-hmm. the interviews. Like you know it was that maddening thing for me of like oh it's everything has been said that we need to be said. Like the people that said it needed to, the people that needed to say it said it, and now we just need to edit it. And yeah, you know what? <laughs> uh, talk a little bit about that process of you know because I think that was one of the things that we had to learn is you know taking. 20, 30 hours of interview footage and then distilling that down into one hour. Painful. Yeah. So what I love is uh, y'all are really getting into this uh, idea of collaboration. Because I think that most folks, uh, whether right or wrong, uh, from the outside will look at something and say, co-directors, man, this must be really tough because it feels like films are like super hierarchy based. Um, So how do you have like two people at the top and and, like there's got to be some give and take. And so you've been talking about the things that you kind of had to, you know, learn on the fly or adjust or things like that. But, but the reverse of that, what were some things that, um, well, in the past where we've talked about collaboration, we've always mm-hmm. talked about remembering that the project is like a third party mm-hmm. in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just you and the other artist you're working with, but it's also you working in connection with this project. So what were some of those things that maybe each of you had to like dial back or kind of give a little bit more, uh, like, oh, I don't have to step in this way. Like, what were some of those things you had to kind of give up in that process of collaborating? Because I don't know that we always talk about that. Mm. Mm. 
Um, for me, it was realizing that I didn't have have responsibility for the project end to end. Um, you know, there had been so many things that you know I'd, had slotted into other people's projects before, just as editor, just a second shooter. But you know, for a good chunk of my professional filmmaking work, you know, which isn't always the case, you know, I was the one that was concepting, shooting, editing, delivering, you know, and you know, that, uh, leads to a lot of defensiveness, I think sometimes where it's like, oh, well, okay, this is how I can see how to do it in my head. So we just need to do it like that because, you know, nobody else is going to do it. Mm -hmm. So I know how to do this. I'll do it like that. And then we'll just call that done. Um, but I think, you know, and which is contrary in a lot of ways to how films are usually made because, you know, fil- like especially feature films, by definition, cannot be done by one person. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, there are your experimental films and your super, super indie films. But, you know, any film that's distributed, I almost can guarantee that has had many hands that touched it. Um, so that was kind of intrinsic into the filmmaking process in the first place. But it was just, I mean a joy to let go of that control, uh, when I was working with Ryan, because, you know, as that, having that generalist view, you know, he never was going to let the film veer in the wrong direction. He was dead set from beginning to end on, on his vision and, you know, the things that the story needed to say. I mean, it took a lot of unexpected turns of how it turned out in its flesh, but, um, you know, the through line was never out of Ryan's mind. So that was, uh, it was good to let go of, uh, clenching onto how I thought it needed to be mm-hmm. and then to just trust Ryan to, you know, walk through the process with him. Right. Yeah. I would say that I would say it's kind of like to be on the opposite side of the same coin. I had been, and again, like this goes back to just the note we talk about know and be known. Like I can't stress how much that uh, entirely was at play. So when Gareth came on to shock art space, uh, him and Callie in a more serious role, I knew. So my weakness as a leader in the past has been to um, hold all the cards and not let anybody else do anything. And I can, so I can understand that for myself as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a we- it's a weakness in leadership. And so I had, I knew I, I've, I've been had working on that. I've been trying to, uh, and there's just a point where you trust, you just have to say, okay, I am going to invest in, in this partnership, this friendship, this collaboration. And what that means is I'm, I'm willing to sync um, with, and rise with the success or failure of the, the collaborator mm-hmm. because they have to be able to have as much autonomy as the role warrants and they have to feel it and it can't be fake. It can't be spoken and not in, you know, actualized in, in real space and time, if that makes sense. Like you have to actually live in the existential angst of like, I'm going to let you do this. Yeah. And so, um, the temptation for me would be to hold the story so tightly that Nick couldn't be Nick as the as the the guy doing all this work shooting the, the film and we we would I mean we had a couple of days editing it's me coming over to Nick's house and looking over stuff and laughing so hard at there's a couple of images that I'll never forget my whole life I mean crying <laughs> to where Nick's wife Rachel is like what is going on up there and we are like crying <laughs> on the floor <laughs> laughing <laughs> like tears like I cried um <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, but there's <laughs> maybe on the DVD we'll release that image. But um, <laughs> it's a rare image. It's a rare image. I'll just start laughing now. <laughs> um, but so, but there was a tension up to a certain point, and that tension was, um, I, I, I was, I like told, I 
confided in Laura. I said, I'm willing for this to fail in order to preserve my friendship with Nick. Mm. So that was really important. The, the friendship with Nick was more important than the film. I didn't tell him that, but I postured myself that way and I had to really, really come to terms with that. Now, I don't know if that's advisable all the time, but this was unique in, in terms of the way this came about. So, so I had to let him do enough of Nick the way that he wanted to, and I had to really let it simmer, and, and we had to see if at every point this is the way it should go. Yeah. So on the other side of what Nick was saying is where he was he let go of a certain amount. Um, that that I, I was on the other side giving him that, hoping that that would happen, but not not wanting to enforce it. I didn't want to micromanage it. It wouldn't be a collaboration, and it wouldn't allow for the best of what Nick could bring to the table to come forward. Yeah, it didn't happen didn't happen like that. No. No, it wasn't it wasn't an instantaneous thing. So it was a process and it had to come to a boiling point. And once the boiling point broke, uh then then I was able to like uh bring my I think my part in more clearly in a way that was meaningful because there were stakes now. Like if there's no uh existential stake in the game, uh-huh. you know, where you're feeling it, you're feeling the weight of the failure of it then you're not going to grasp at the solutions the same way. Right. And I know that from, from being like a professor, like, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. much older than, I mean, I've got a lot of experience at sort of guiding folks and seeing a vision implemented in a way that's mm-hmm. empowering to people. Um, but I've, I also had spent the last three years really convicted feeling like I had to grow in that area, which is like shrinking. So others can rise mm-hmm. if you will, you know, if that right. makes sense. And so it's been the same thing. I mean, I, I learned a lot of that in our relationship. You know, it's like when you came on board, I just gave you the keys. I mean, I truly like, um, mm-hmm. and that's counter to my nature, but now it's, it's a lot easier for me to do that. Yeah. You know, but there was a critical point where it was like the film could fail and it could fail because we have, um, our, our strengths, Nick's and I's strengths specifically are also our Achilles heel. Mm-hmm. And so they're either going to, our strengths are either going to choke out the project or they're going to take a turn in the way that they did. Mm-hmm. And it's going to become something wonderful because we actually needed each other in terms of the way I think we're our dominant strengths are are aligned and complementary to each other. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. If I had to, you know, boil that down into kind of a concrete example, it was, you know, it was many. You know, we'd done probably eighty percent of the filming. Um, you know, and it was kind of the point where it's like, all right, let's. We need a rough edit. We need to kind of start putting this together. We'd already made the trailer and people's like, I can't wait to see that film. And I say, me too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> every day, every yeah. day. <laughs> Update every <Yeah>. day. <laughs> so we need, yeah, we needed to make it. Um, and Ryan, you know, said, all right, let's start here. And I was like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem right. You know, let me try something else. And, you know, I got maybe 12 minutes of film together and I was like, this isn't sitting right. This doesn't feel right. I showed it to a friend. He's like, no, nope, it's not right. It doesn't make sense. I don't see a story. And that was kind of the, the like crisis moment, you know, for me, it was that sense of like, oh my gosh, you know, like I'm going to fail. Like I'm going to, you know, we're not going to get these things. You're not going to be able to show it current. You know, we're not going to be able to tell this story that Ryan's been wanting to tell for forever. And it's like that, that was that crisis moment that, you know, was either, you know, just give up or, you know, went and talked to Ryan. And then that was kind of that turning point of like, all right, let's, let's let go of this. Ryan said, start with this clip and with this clip just weave it from there. And yeah. <laughs> Who, who's our beginning? Who's our middle? Who's our end? Mm-hmm. Where do they bookend? And just lay the footage in. But here's the thing. You heard Nick talk earlier precisely 
about the way he's wired. So yeah. he's spending 14 hours picking uh, fuzz out of a photograph. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that, that meticulousness is invaluable, right? Right. But, and so what was happening was the end finish was leading the process. So what it's going to look like at the, at the back end was driving the process, but we didn't have the chunk of clay down. Mm-hmm. We had it, but we hadn't laid it down first so that you could start to massage it all together. And so it was working from general to specific. And a lot of times folks work from specific and hope they can get the foundation underneath through the, the pressing of the specific. And it, it, you, you spent two years meticulously putting it together, not knowing if it works as a whole because you, you don't see the whole until the meticulous is done. And so that's, that was the critical point. And, and because Nick has the film experience, I do not. I, was, I, I withheld some of that to see if, if he would come around to saying. Because if not, I was like, maybe, he, maybe, maybe this just works out through this meticulous crafting. And so then what happened was there was something to work on to where then all of those gifts that Nick possesses then are on the, the film as he starts to work meticulously back into the lump sum. You know, the, which we had done the work. We had the lump sum. We had, right. you know, we had the baseline. It just needed to be put down together. And it was like, I remember like the first rough, rough cup. I was like, maybe it was an hour and 20 minutes. Maybe it was an hour and 30 minutes, something like that. And right away you start going like, yeah, this gets, you could start to see it. You know, you could feel it just, it, it rolled from there. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think we made any dramatic structural changes. We no. whittled a few things out and, you know, yeah. tightened a lot of stuff up, obviously, like re- sequenced a few things but yeah it was yeah so i think i mean what y'all are talking about is you know there's meticulousness there's uh there's an attention to um the relational dynamics that are at play there is a prioritization of the story you know there's a lot of stuff that really is central to i think a lot of our individual like pursuits and creative practice right um and it sounds like all this stuff came together but there was also that other thing we've talked about a ton on the podcast which is the fear that this could just end up being just a waste just Mm -hmm. nothing comes out of it it just doesn't work you know that fear of failure that's always there but that hasn't been the case Mm -hmm. so i know you know we got a few minutes left to talk about this but i'd love to just kind of get an update from y'all like um, what's happened recently with it? Where is this going to go? What What are some hopes and dreams you may have for it? Yeah, real fast. What is the film about? I just want to throw it out there. Should we Should we say? In case you're listening and you want to see it, uh, builderfilm.com. Builderfilm.com. Yeah, don't don't give too much away. Though, I don't want to give too much away. But, but it's I, an, I, it's about an unexpected just, art collector. Yes, <laughs> it's about an unexpected art collector. I and, think that's probably the best. Yeah, unexpected art collector, and there's an interconnectivity that has historical links. Yeah. And I think you, it's, it's a surprise. There's a, there's a surprisingness to this. So if you're yes. interested at all, then I think this is the kind of film you want to see, especially if you're thinking about audience. If you're thinking about collecting, mm-hmm. if you're thinking about having your work collected, if you're thinking about the ecosystem of art and, and who resonates, then you, you, you might be surprised by this film because I don't think it's always who we talk about in art school. Yeah. Right. So I would just yeah. say that. And I'll just say, too, I mean, the f- effect the film had on me you know, even having been through every part of making it, you know, being able to watch it again and again, you know, screen it the first two times, watch it, you know, after the fact, screenings that have happened since, you know, it's had an effect on me too, you know, of mm-hmm. I think differently about collecting art. I think differently about uh, the relationships I have with artists. And so, you know, it's been unexpected for me in that sense too. Yeah. Of, you know, wow, this is, you know, being able to kind of let the work that we already did and all the emotions of everything making it fall away and like actually see 
what the people are saying and kind of the, the real people that are in the film, you know, has had a profound impact on me as well. On Fowler yeah. View Art. Yeah, that's big, man. Even me, you know, I'm curator of a gallery and I, I'm, I have more, I feel more licensed to collect art than I did before making the film. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's like, you'd think I, you would think of all people, I wouldn't need that. But myself included, I'm like, yeah, as a painter, I'm like far more excited about it than I was prior to the film. So we just had the movie. So COVID kind of slowed things down. Yeah. We did, we did have a, a, a short screening, um, in, um, current art fair in October, the end of October, almost turning November. And his first night was a huge success to the point. The second night was like standing room only. And so that was a, a, a great indicator of, um, the film. And it, you know, mm-hmm. it's a love story about Richmond in a way, or it's a love letter to Richmond. It's a, I, I do think it's taken on more importance in light of what's transpired recently with COVID, but also all the protests, uh, uh throughout, uh, and, and some of the consequences of the protest, both positive and maybe some things where people feel like, there's debate over like property or things like that. But what I do think the film does is it, it, um, it, get, it, it encapsulates the spirit of Richmond, mm-hmm. the best parts of Richmond. And I, and I, and I love that it preserves that right before COVID hit so that we have a reminder and a beacon of what we need to ascend to again. And with these new turn of events and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, areas of justice that we need to see worked out in, in, in the right way. So, um, we had it. We just had it uh, screened at uh, Art Is Alive Film Festival in Milwaukee, uh-huh. and what do we what do we get? What we happened? Won an award for best special interest film. Yeah, we won an award, a Laurel Laurel Leaf Award. Uh, we were nominated for best director and best feature as well. Yeah, so mm-hmm. with three nominations in this film festival, 40, 40 um, films were uh, accepted into the festival and. Uh-huh. Uh, so just hu- huge honor. First film festival, um, you know, we applied to many, but a lot of them shut down, you know, just so it was kind of like, I remember Gareth giving me a call and saying, hey, dude, we got the film into a festival. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, that's right. Like, we didn't know what to do with the film. We had screenings planned locally and, and all that shut down. So now the film is back to life or yeah. getting its life that it, mm-hmm. it deserves. And the first screening was wildly accepted. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. Really, really accepted well. So what else have we got? Well, we, uh, you know, are hoping for this film to be kind of um, the start of conversations uh, around collecting. You know, mm-hmm. we want to screen this film in museums and schools and um, kind of roll it out with galleries. a... Yeah, galleries. Yeah. Um, just roll it out with a kind of curriculum, if you will, you know, a guidebook for talking about um, what collecting art means, how to look at art. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that... Um, this film is a conversation starter and is kind of best viewed in the context of other people that, you know, might want to dip their foot in the world of art. Um, yeah. 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 And it's lighter. It's invitational. What I mean, it's, it's not the way you might expect a film dealing with art to be. And I think that's the big hook. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, so one positive effects that we, we experience with the film are people coming in saying, artists saying, I need my parents to see this. I need my relatives to see this that aren't into mm-hmm. art. I think this will help them see it. And um, it elevates people that are not artists that probably should be seen more like artists. So then you have people that feel like, oh, my gosh, I, I'm actually closer to this than I realize. And so it does a lot of turning on its head. And I, yeah. and I do think it, it has a heart and soul that's inspirational in a real way that it inspires and encourages. And so I think it's uplifting. And, and it's a true story. I mean, it's like yeah. mm-hmm. what happened in Richmond um, as an example of what could be happening in many cities and towns uh, around the United States. And so, you know, I think we hope to see we're it's going to be screened this coming on the 18th, September 18th mm-hmm. at the Friends of Oshkosh, 
uh, film festival. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll have some information about that, but it's going to be filmed on that Friday at, at the next festival. So mm-hmm. if you know, you want to see it, there'll be, uh, both in person viewings in the theater, but also online screenings as well. So, um, that's our next immediate opportunity for it. But yeah, and it's still, I mean, it's, it's going to be riding the circuit for a little bit of yep. film festivals, uh, you know, as these things do, um, there'll also be options down the road to, uh, you know, screen it online, uh, have some, you know, as, as everything starts to kind of get back up and running, sure. you know, have some in-person, uh, screenings as well. Yep. Um, but I think there's some good, uh, some, some good traction that's being generated with it. Um, I mean, obviously we all think it's a fantastic film. Yeah. Um, and but to get, to get nominated for three awards in your, it's like amazing. it just kind yeah. of mind boggling, you know what I mean? Yeah. Until Especially win, the three that it was nominated for. The three that was, and other, the films were excellent and there was yes. very humbling, you know, it's like five. I'm still processing. Yeah. I'm still, still kind of like processing the shock <laughs> of that, like mm-hmm. to, to have it in just the way it was received, like the, the kind of feedback. This is, you know, people that don't know about Richmond. Now some of the, uh, Cindy who, who's sort of the founder of, um, Art is Alive actually is planning on coming to Richmond and interviewing people. And so, um, I mean, what more could you ask for as far as like the way people feel as a response to the film, especially people that are experienced in the film industry and running festivals and that kind of thing that are really invested journalists working in that area. I I think those uh, affirmations are very encouraging. Um, I also I also think like if you're listening and you're a listener and you're in another city or state, and you have an interest in showing the film, email us at info at shockoartspace.com and let us know, you know, there might be ways that we can do a screening uh, uh, nearby with some kind of panel discussion or, or something like that. We'd love to collaborate to see this film get in front of as many eyes as possible, especially Mm -hmm. places where you want to sort of plant uh, the inspiration for cultivating art and culture. You know, we think this film is a good catalyst for that. It was yeah. meant to be a catalyst for that, to be honest with you. I mean, that mm-hmm. was part of its, its mm-hmm. uh, purpose. So, yeah, so I think it's, I mean, it's wonderful. We got uh, a great film on our hands that we're just starting to really roll out to as many people as possible now that we are kind of out from under uh, one of the kind of, I guess, the larger bubble of COVID at the mm-hmm. moment where we can start sending it to different places. Stay um, posted on social media. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll um, be dropping some shout outs. Gareth is masterminded some great content to be dropping so yeah so um you can follow us on instagram shock art space uh check us out um builderfilm.com uh, builderfilm.com uh all the information will be in the show notes for you so you'll be able to uh, just click some links and, and go where you need to go um also what i think is most most uh, exciting about this kind of as a, a punctuation mark on this conversation is that uh, everything that's been talked about here is great because now there is a wealth and a bank of wisdom and knowledge as we launch into the next projects Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's never that we've reached this place Mm -hmm. and just stopped, but it's, you know, what's next, how can Mm -hmm. we, uh, keep, keep pushing, uh, down the line to make more of this stuff and be as generative as possible. Yeah. I mean, we got, you know, just to tease, we've got some, uh, we think exciting film prospects that have been in the, in the oven that are ready to get pulled out or made. So, um, this is hopefully a launch pad into a a few more films that I think uh, would be really important. I think uh, Ken Gilbertson would be willing to be interviewed for one of these. Um, I think, it, yeah, I think Ken Ken is never camera shy yeah. while always yeah. being camera shy. Mm-hmm. And his body, got- he he always talks about his body mass index. I don't fully understand what he means by that, but um, I suspect there's a part of him that is open to being on film. Yeah, and by part I mean literally a part of him. Yeah, like, it's I don't an know interesting that, build. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. 
Well, it'll be exciting, whatever comes from it. Uh, we'll, and as always, uh, right here, we'll keep you updated on all of it. So thank you all so much for listening. Thank you so much for coming by, Nick, and thank talking you, Nick. with us. And um, thank you. yeah, we'll check you all next time. See ya. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.